Welcome to the INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. The Infusion Nurses Society is recognized as the global authority in infusion therapy and is devoted to setting the standard for infusion care. I'm Dawn Berendt, your podcast host and the Clinical Education and Publications Manager for INS. Welcome to today's INS Infusion Room podcast. Today, I'm meeting with Maureen Berger and Candy Cross, and we're going to be talking about the National Coalition for IV Push Safety. This topic is so important because we understand that there's great variation in practice across all care settings that can really cause patient harm. Also on today's podcast, Dear Ivy is going to address your Ivy push practice questions with the help of Maureen and Candy. Coming up after the break, we're going to learn more about the National Coalition for Ivy Push Safety. INS is proud to introduce the new Fundamentals of Infusion Therapy Program, or FIT program. FIT is an online interactive platform that offers enhanced learning experience through audio, video, and 3D graphic presentations. The program features eight learning modules that take the participants step-by-step through the essential elements of infusion therapy. FIT is available now through the INS Learning Center on the INS website. Consider getting fit in 2020. Okay, welcome back. Today in our virtual studio, I have Candy Cross and Maureen Berger. Welcome, Candy and Maureen. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you. Good to be here, Dawn. It's good to talk with you again. So I'm going to ask each of you to introduce yourself. Tell a little bit about your background and what you do. Candy, let's start with you. Okay. So um, again, thank you for allowing us to be here with you today. My name is Candy Cross. I've been a nurse for 33 years, um, practiced at bedside for 20 in various settings, started out in med surge, went to cardiac care, then into the ICU, CBICU. Graduated with my bachelor's um, from University of Phoenix and my master's in nursing education from Grand Canyon University and have spent about the past 12 years in nursing education. From 2014 till 20, early 2019, I was working with one of our organizations here in Arizona as the new grad program manager. And so that was really one of my um, loved positions was helping the new graduates transition to practice um, after they graduated. Currently, I'm working with one of our community colleges, um, working with the simulation lab and um, introducing different simulations for the nursing students. Very good. Maureen, how about you? 
Tell us about yourself. Well, I'm going to beat you on this one, Candy. So this is my 43rd year as a professional Ooh, registered nurse. Yay. And I don't know how that happened, <laughs> but time has really flown by. Um, my background is a little similar to yours in that clinically, I was a critical care practitioner and actually got my master's degree from Case Western Reserve as a critical care clinical specialist back in 1989 and worked for a few years at the Cleveland Clinic as a CNS over neuro ICU, surgical ICU, and medical ICU. Um, I then moved to Iowa City, worked at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics and held a couple of different roles there, including running their burn program for about five years, and then moved into hospital administration while I was there. Uh, moved again to Cincinnati, did some work with one of the local hospitals there in um, leadership, including perioperative services, which was a fantastic opportunity, and also had the time to take a sabbatical back to the bedside and went back as a cardiovascular ICU nurse in a hospital there. Um, one of the gifts that that gave me was the opportunity to go and really experienced a full go live with Epic and become very, very familiar with everything pretty much that staff nurses were facing at that time. I've also done a little work as a uh, consultant with Joint Commission Resources, which was really nice because it got to, it gave you the opportunity to go to all these different places and spread best practices and learn from other peers and colleagues. Um, finally, um, I ended up at Indiana University Health as their senior vice president over quality and safety and risk and infection control. And as we say, sometimes everything that goes bump in the night. And did that for a few years, uh, stepped down from that position, and I've been in my current position, which is the chief nursing officer with Visant, which is a medications management consulting firm. And it's in this position that I have become a real advocate for IV push medication safety. Wow, the two of you have fantastic histories of practice as nurses, and it's really an honor to have you here today. So my first question is for you, Candy. Um, tell us about the history of the work group that was started in Arizona and why was IV Push the topic of that work group? So our work here, well, as when during the time I was working as the new grad program manager, I was introduced to ISMP's best practice guidelines for IV Push um, administration and Working with the new graduate nurses, I would I was teaching that best practice um, according to um, ISMP's guidelines and INS standards, mm -hmm. and I continually heard from the new grads that the nursing schools were still teaching them to dilute medication. Um, morphine was one of the big ones, and as we know, the majority of the time, morphine comes in a ready-to-administer carpet. But the nurses were, the new grads were telling me they, their preceptors would be pulling that medication out of the sterile container into a pre-filled syringe of normal saline. And so it was at that time I ran into a colleague who was um, working as a clinical educator for one of our community colleges here in Arizona. And it was just a casual conversation in the hallway of the hospital. And I asked her, what are you teaching the nursing students at your at your college regarding IV push dilution and administration, and she said that, that she teaches them to dilute IV push medications. And so at that point, I introduced her to ISMP's guidelines, best practice guidelines, and she was horrified that she was teaching the wrong way. Oh boy! And so that started us um, 
wanting to investigate what were the other colleges and universities in Arizona teaching and what were the nurses doing at bedside? Because as we know, ISMP has done two great surveys out to nursing. Their first one was in 2014. They repeated it again in 2018 and not much had changed during that time. Nurses were still diluting medications, using pre-filled syringes of normal saline, which aren't um, FDA approved. The majority of them aren't FDA approved for dilution and uh, medication administration. So we formed a small group. There was four of us in our group here in Arizona. We wanted to represent the two largest organizations here in Arizona. So we had um, two of us. Well, one of us was from one of the larger organizations. We had two other clinical education specialists and a staff nurse from another large organization here in Arizona. So we would get a good representation. So we developed the two surveys. One was for nursing faculty and one was for bedside nursing. And the results that we received kind of mirrored what ISMP was going. What surprised us most, though, was the faculty um, survey, where the majority of the clinical nurse faculty is teaching nurses to dilute their IV push medications. So what we wanted to do and what we tried to do was take this to our Arizona State Board of Nursing. We presented to them four times asking if there was something that they could issue, like an advisory opinion, to discuss that this is not a safe practice and it really isn't within the scope of the RN to be diluting without a physician's order, without a manufacturer's recommendation, or without a pharmacy recommendation. What we found in our bedside nursing staff our survey is that nurses are diluting all kinds of medication. They're diluting Narcan. They're diluting heparin. Mm -hmm. They're diluting insulin. It's these questions. And some of them would respond that they were taught to dilute all IV push medications. Mm -hmm. So then we started, well, how can we start educating Arizona? So we um, published an article in Arizona Nurse, one of our nursing um, magazines here in Arizona. We published an article in there. We presented a poster presentation at our Arizona Nursing Association conference um, last year. And we also was in touch with ISMP and was working with them kind of as a collaborative effort. They were very supportive of the work we were doing in here in Arizona, and they supported us. They wrote us a letter to present to the Arizona State Board of Nursing, and we just really wanted to get the word out. We also did a podcast for INS, which um, Denise Dion, one of the, my colleagues that's in our group, she was mm-hmm. she participated in that, and it was all about syringe safety and best practice or safe practice for IV push medications. So it was when working with one of our educators here at one of our organizations here in Arizona, because she made it her goal for this year to teach that organization, ISMP's best practice guidelines or safe practice guidelines. And so it was while I was helping her, we were just doing some Google searches, looking for information, and we came across a poster that Maureen had presented um, at one of her conferences. So we're like, oh my gosh, she's she's doing the same work we're doing. So let's contact her and you know see if we can use some of her information off of her poster. And so we contacted her, Maureen contacted us right back, and we were so excited to meet up with someone else because we're this is like getting towards the end of 
2019 going into 2020. And we were looking at what our goals were going to be in 2020. So we are so excited to find another strong advocate for IV for safety in Maureen. So on the other side of the continent, we found Maureen Berger. <laughs> and she had a similar goal, a similar set of problems that she had uncovered. So Maureen, Tell us where you were at that time, and then we're going to start talking about the crux of the problem. So it's kind of interesting. As I mentioned before, when I left um, sort of formal working in a hospital and I went to work in the consulting world again, um, one of our clients was a company that was making pre-filled, ready-to-administer syringes. And they had asked our company to provide some advice for them as to how to successfully bring their product to market. And it was during that time then, as we started looking at their product and identifying how it was going to be used, that we started to hear some different feedback from nurses and pharmacists in the hospital. So as you think about, you know, what, you know, when you're bringing a product to market, you're thinking about what are going to be the barriers to adoption. And one of the largest barriers to adoption was that nurses said, well, what do I do with this? Because I need to be able to dilute this. Now, personally speaking, I've never diluted anything. I worked in ICU. We just, we didn't dilute medications. We just gave them IV push. But I will be perfectly honest and, and confess that I was one of those people that used the carp eject as a skinny vial because it was difficult to put the end of the carp eject into a stopcock. And, and in ICU, most of our medications were given via stopcock. So as I began working with the, the pharmaceutical company and identifying the barriers, we started to use sort of the same principles of root cause analysis. So if, if people didn't want to use a ready-to-administer syringe, you have to ask the question, why? And the question then became, there's two really big things. One, I have to dilute. And two, I have to use a 10 ml syringe. So then we said, well, why do you have to dilute? And we went back and looked at the literature, which included those two surveys from ISMP, and realized that people had been getting taught for years that all IV push medications needed to be diluted. But in particular, we found that this was really strong in the med surge sort of non-monitored areas. So as you think about it, ICUs have been giving IV push medications for years, and our level of comfort was much higher Whereas out on the regular nursing floors without monitoring capabilities, there was an additional level of comfort that nurses were feeling if they diluted their medications. And I think most of this comes from a clear lack of understanding of how the medications work and what needs to be done and whether a drug even needs it from a, a chemical point of view to be diluted. So I did some, I did a study, a simulation study back a few years ago, and we were able to present that at, at the American Association of Critical Care Nurses, which showed how much people were misusing either vials and syringes or carp ejects. And then um, did some subsequent work where we presented that at both um, National Institute for Quality and Safety, and we also presented at um, the Academy for Med Surge Nurses to start really starting to say, how do we start educating people and find that there's a lot of people who have, uh, they're ready to move. They're ready to start adapting practice. They recognize that it's time for them to maybe relook at some of these old practices that we've had. As Candy was looking at what was being taught in programs of nursing, I started looking at what was being written to direct nurses in the, the commercial policy and procedure manuals. 
And there's one book that's very, very well established. It's been around for about 40 years. And in that book, the author had a very profound viewpoint about medications and IV push and that they should all be diluted and that every IV push medication is a high alert medication. And and there were some other, you know, opinions that were offered in the book that that frankly were no longer really uh, useful or current thinking. So I took it upon myself to just reach out to one of the professional reviewers of the book. And we had a conversation and I said, I'm not sure if you're aware of some of the opinions. I know you looked at the clinical content and the, that conversation, for whatever reason, the next version of that book took out all of that information. So I realized then that there was a place that we could make an impact, which is speaking with either the authors or reviewers or the publishers of the commercial policy and procedure manuals. So I've now completed a review of all of those policy and procedure manuals. And as we're getting our, our group together, that'll be our, one of our targets is to work with the different publishers to get alignment around the best practices so that as hospitals purchase and use these commercial manuals, then they are using the most current practices. Candy, tell me about your experience when you're looking at medication manuals or drug books. Well, that was that has been one of the biggest problems because when we started looking at what um, the hospitals were using, the two major hospitals here are using the online service of either Micromedics or Lexicom. Some of the nursing colleges are using Davis Drug Books and you know, different universities are using different, but they're all different in their um, recommendations on IV push drugs. For instance, Micromedics, when we initially looked at it, talked about um, morphine and it and it said may dilute three to five milliliters of sterile water. And so we wrote to Micromedics and we asked them, where are you getting that recommendation? Because they had like a corporation listed under that. And so they wrote us back immediately and said that they reached out to that pharmaceutical company. That company no longer recommends that dilution of the three to five milliliters of sterile water, and they took it out of their online resource. Okay. Um, we also contacted Davis Drug Book and received the same response from them. Um, but there's still other drug books out there like Lippincott and different other drug books that still recommend to dilute morphine and different IV push drugs. And that is some of the pushback that we have received from clinical faculty is like, well, if their drug book is teaching them to dilute, who am I to say, no, you shouldn't dilute. Mm -hmm. And we also mm -hmm. know that nurses aren't getting the proper diluent because they were, they're, they're using pre-filled syringes of normal saline to dilute their morphine sulfate, pulling it okay. out of their sterile into that secondary syringe. Okay. All right. Very good. So let's kind of review what we've talked about because it's been a lot. So we, we understand that student nurses were and still are being educated incorrectly. And perhaps um, even when they leave and go into their clinical setting, their preceptor in the healthcare organization is also leading them to uh, an incorrect practice. We find that we've got a problem with 
the medication manuals or drug books. And we also understand that uh, clinicians at bedside have a uh, a long established practice of their own um, and really aren't really sure where they got that information or why they have that practice. So let's talk just a little bit more. Is What other pieces of this problem have you uncovered and where does it take us as far as patient safety? So Maureen, let's go to you next. Thanks, John. I think what it really tells us is that we've had like a a tremendous degree of variation in practices. If you see one nurse, you see one style of practice. And medication administration and preparation of IV push medications needs to be treated more from a scientific point of view and where we are using best practices and evidence-based practice. Um, I think that uh, where we've got, we are, we've been afraid, we've always wanted to do the best for our patients and we've been afraid of hurting them so we've created all these different workarounds or practices with the intent of avoiding harm without recognizing that we're literally inducing risk by transferring um, drugs from one container to another and manipulating them by dilution. And that's probably the biggest message is that we need to reframe what we think is safe about IV push medications. So, Maureen, what you're telling me is um, not only is it unnecessary, but we are really creating an infection risk. Right. So I think it's one thing to think of eliminating steps that are just non-value added. I think it's another thing to think about eliminating steps that actually are creating risks where we thought we were preventing harm. And in the case of manipulating both vials, ampules, or ready-to-administer products like Carpigex or, you know, other um, simple, other like Simplest, any of these products, if we start manipulating those, these are already prepared and are sterile, ready to be given. Anytime that you move a sterile product from one container to another, you have the risk of contamination. So if there's no reason and no value in moving it, say, from a carp eject into another syringe, why are we doing that? If we think that we need to dilute, we really need to stop and think about the steps that we're taking to actually dilute the drugs. And uh, Candy has seen this same video, but there's a video out there from Ohio, one of the nursing programs that actually shows a nursing instructor showing a nurse how to draw up medication into a syringe, put a needle on it, and then insert the needle into the tip the syringe tip of a saline flush syringe so that you can actually then create a compounded sterile product. Now, I don't know about you, but 50% of the nurses out there are over the age of 40 these days. And most of us need to have cheater glasses and we have poor depth perception. So the, the thought that you're going to get that needle in that tip without touching something is a pretty lofty goal. Or having a needle stick so, injury. <laughs> Or a needle stick injury, absolutely. So, you know, you sit there and you say, why am I doing these crazy things? And I was in a hospital a while back when I was doing work around drug diversion, and a nurse explained to me that she didn't know what to do with the pre-filled syringe that was ready to administer because she needed to dilute it. And so she was spending time putting a needle on the end of the pre-filled syringe and injecting it into a saline flush syringe. And I said, well, does it does it make any sense to you? If you just look at this for face value, it's already in a syringe. Wouldn't that make you want to at least stop and question what you're doing? Mm -hmm. 
And this is that time for us in nursing now to stop and question because this is a sacred cow. <laughs> no, speaking of sacred cows, um, there is an article that was published uh, recently, and it has a title just like that, Sacred Cow Gone to Pasture, A Systematic Evaluation and Integration of Evidence-Based Practice. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Well, actually, uh, that's a that's a really really excellent paper. It was written by um, Kirsten Hanrahan is the the first author, and she and another group of colleagues from the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics published this paper about how to sort of de-implement bad practices. And uh, we found this paper when we were looking to put together some advisory work for one of our clients, and invited Kirsten to come and, and meet with us. And we learned so much about how to think about how to actually stop nurses from doing one thing and how to help them adopt a new practice. And uh, we went through several steps of thinking about how we might do that then to help get nurses to stop diluting IV push medications when it wasn't necessary. Mm -hmm. So we're in that sort of in that mold. That's part of what our our charge is and our advocacy for IV push safety is to develop sort of a toolkit to help hospitals be able to move nurses away from one practice and into a new practice. Very good. Candy, you're up next. I'm going to have you tell us a little bit more about this new coalition and um I think I get how it's started. I want you to tell us a little bit more about who's involved and um, just get us started to understand because this is where we're going today. We want to talk about the work that's going to be done and how it's going to get done. Yes, thank you. So currently we have five members, um, our original four team members here in Arizona and Maureen. So we're very happy to partner and build this coalition. And um, so we're just getting started with it. Um, Maureen has been working on getting us a logo and we have that pretty much um, established now where we want to develop a website, um, develop social media. We want to bring people, bring members into um, our program. I think we've already reached out and discovered one nurse in Colorado, I want to say, um, Casey, that has been working on this same topic in Colorado. So the more people we can pull in from different parts of the country, I think the more we'll be able to get our message out. We really want to reach out. Some of our goals are to get safe practice guidelines into nursing curriculum. I think that's very important. I think this is multifaceted. There's pharmacy involved. Pharmacy is not providing the proper diluent for nurses, so that's creating a problem for the nurses. So I think we have multiple stakeholders here. We have pharmacy, we have nursing, we have um, clinical educators, hospital educators, and it's going to be a big challenge to get everybody on the same page and to, like Maureen was talking about, get rid of the sacred cow, because that's what we hear. Well, I've always done it this way. What harm does it create? And it's very difficult to correlate harm to this bad practice because there's so many variables involved. But as nurses, we should be wanting to do best practice. Like we say, every dose, every, what's our, what's our um, model, Marie? Um, every dose, every patient, always safe. 
always say. So that's where we want to be and we want to pull in. And we have a strong advocate for Arizona now for the directors of nursing because Denise has moved into a director role. So she'll be able to get it this on the agenda of the directors of nursing in Arizona. But we don't want to just do it here in Arizona. We want to expand it out throughout the country. We have connected with the um, nurse specialist from Cleveland Clinic, and she would like to do a national survey of faculty to find out across the country what's being taught in nursing schools. So a lot of challenges that we're facing, but we, I think we're all very strong advocates um, for IV for safety and getting this message across. So this is a significant undertaking. So let's talk about your four Ps. Who would like to address the four Ps that are part of your path to your vision in this organization? Well, I can go ahead and take that on a little bit and then uh, Candy jump in anytime here. So you know, as you mentioned before, that our main cause is about reducing the variation in IV push practices that potentially can cause patients harm. So we're, we're really aiming towards looking at nursing programs and then the policies and procedures around uh, IV push medication preparation and administration, and then getting at the specific practices that nurses use, whether it's how they prepare them, how they administer them. Um, and that really gets into then, you know, some of the, you know, the variation around even just how you use an, uh, a saline lock versus how you inject into a running IV. There's a lot of variation there. And I'm, I'm kind of an old-fashioned KISS kind of girl. I think if we can standardize a process that is the same regardless of the type of IV, we have a better chance of being able to get to reduce variation because then the nurse doesn't have to try to remember, oh, yeah, what am I supposed to do here or what am I supposed to do then? So our four P's are approaching the nursing programs, the policies, the procedures, and then really getting at nursing practices. You want to talk a little bit about who our targets are, Candy? Sure. So one of the things we have done, um, we've connected with a nurse um, specialist from Cleveland Clinic, and she's interested in doing a national faculty survey to look at what is being taught across the country not just in Arizona, but across the country. And I think that survey would be very beneficial to help us identify and make those contacts. It's making those contacts with the directors of nursing program to get them on board with this also. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that is a huge project there. So what you're beginning to describe to me is something that has real magnitude. You're, we're trying to connect our... <laughs> nation. We're trying to connect things that are coming out in print. We're trying to connect resources, uh, get um, with national organizations that are publishing instructional materials. Um, this is huge. So Maureen, where do we go next? Well, it's kind of like eating an, an elephant. You have to do it one bite <laughs> at a time and start breaking the work down into manageable chunks, which is why we're beginning to engage um, others from across the country who are have interests similar to ours. And 
it really, that's the whole purpose of sort of formally organizing ourselves a, as a national coalition for IV push safety so that we can start really accomplishing our goals. Um, it, if we continue to work on each other by ourselves, we're not going to be as strong as we are together. And you're going to find one another every once in a while. You'll find the next person and it's it's going to happen in <laughs> kind of a little piece by piece together, right. right? So now we're trying to pull it together and by having, you know, developing an actual presence. So kind of formalizing ourselves and developing a presence allows us then to be able to communicate at a different level and invite people to come on board with us and be part of this movement to um, kind of move from art to science of IV push medication safety. And by bringing more people along, we'll have more resources and more interest to be able to uh, um, help us accomplish our work plan. Um, you know, it takes, it takes a village, right? So for the National Coalition for IV Push Safety, it sounds like you're going to be recruiting members. Correct. You're going to be appointing a board. Correct. You are going to formally adopt a mission and vision. Yes. And then you're going to start spreading the word even more. So um, it isn't going to be one webinar at a time or one podcast at a time. It's going to be a national initiative. Um Tell us just a little bit more about some of your thoughts for marketing and communication. So I put on my marketing hat for this for the answer to this one. So uh, building a web presence is one very important thing these days because everybody finds and connects through um, the interweb. And having materials available on our website so that it helps bring the advocacy to each individual so that they can readily download information that they need. Uh, having a logo so that we can be able to market ourselves and be able to communicate with uh, organizations at the same level. Um, we will probably have uh, the opportunity to do some marketing at professional uh, meetings if and when we get back to having professional meetings in a face-to-face -face way. <laughs> um, but certainly there's ways to do that in a virtual way also. Um, anything from having a small booth at places to sponsoring um, and being on the podium at different uh, meetings so that we can communicate face-to-face -face with people and getting more more things out in print. Um, last year, we had one article that was published in Pharmacy Practice News with a pharmacy colleague that talked about the sort of the, the problems of, you know, sterile drugs being made and then nurses are taking them, perhaps, you know, sabotaging their safety because we're compromising their sterility when we manipulate them. So developing a work plan that is has everything from where is our presence going to be? What are the target audiences that we need to visit with? Um, what is the communication? What's our elevator speech so that with somebody, you know, has an opportunity to talk to you, you can get deliver that message in a couple of quick lines. And I think that's why our slogan is so important. It's about every patient, every dose, always safe. Very good. So, Candy, I'm going to expect that you're going to need to join with some academic partners. You're going to need to get with some bigger groups who are already really good at this stuff. Tell us what your thoughts are about that. We, we had um, submitted an abstract for CUSIN conference for 2019. CUSIN? CUSIN, uh -huh, Quality um, and Safety Education for Nurses conference. 
in Philadelphia, I believe it was going to be this year, and we were accepted for a poster presentation and a rapid-fire podium, 15-minute podium presentation. Sadly, because of COVID, um, that has now been delayed until 2021, which we were really sad about. We had also submitted an abstract to be at the roundtable for INS's conference, which was also postponed this year. Those are going to be great avenues for us to network and talk to people and you know, look for members to join our coalition to help get this word out. I think mm-hmm. the more mm-hmm. we have, the stronger um, our coalition will be. Okay. So the first thing is really creating awareness. Um, we didn't know we had a problem <laughs> until people started bumping into it. Um, so letting us know that there's a problem letting us know that there is a risk for patient safety and that there is a better practice that we can follow. I want to thank both of you uh, for being my guest today on INS Infusion Room. You have, um, I'm sure that we're going to have to talk again and we're going to see this thing unfold over some months and some years and we're going to see where this goes. So we'll definitely want to stay together on this because this is very important work. But thank you so much for being my guest today on INS Infusion Room, and we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Don. Coming up after the break, we'll hear from Dear Ivy, a clinical nurse specialist who's going to answer your clinical infusion questions. Stay tuned. Today on Talking in Vain, Dear Ivy is going to address some of your clinical practice questions related to IV medication syringe safety. And while I had the opportunity to talk to Maureen Berger and Candy Cross, I thought that would be a great idea to let your questions be answered by these two gals. So here's the first question today. Dear Ivy, I've always thought that I should connect the medication syringe to the push port farthest away from the patient so the medication would be more dilute when the patient receives it. Is this practice right or wrong? Wrong. Best practice is to inject it into the infusion port that is closest to the cannula. If If you're injecting it up high, you're not controlling the rate. Um, one of the surveys out there, and I forget which one it was, but they were actually visualizing nurses in their IV push practices. And one of the biggest problems is the rate of controlling the rate of the IV push medication. So if you're injecting it high, you're diluting it, you're changing the concentration of the medication, and that is not best practice. Best practice is to inject at the port closest to the IV site. And I think the other part of that is that if you're doing it because you're trying to dilute your medication, just stop because your medication does not need to be diluted. There are only five medications that really need to be either diluted or prepared at the point of administration. So really, there's no need to do that. Give it at the injection port that's closest to the patient and then flush following it, even if it's a running IV, you should flush it so that it clears the injection port and it helps maintain that you're giving that medication then at the rate of administration that was prescribed. Okay, very good. The next question, Dear Ivy, 
How do I know if a medication is in ready-to-administer form? So there's a couple of quick, easy ways. So first of all, if it comes in a syringe, it likely is ready to be given because it's in its final product or device for administration. But if you look at the label, any drug label would have information on it that tells you if, it, if dilution is required. Another place to look would be on the package insert, not that many times, especially nurses and hospitals don't get to see those very often, but the manufacturer's information in the package insert would also give you directions on whether or not the medication needs to be diluted, such as something like Ativan. Very good. Thank you so much for answering Dear Ivy's questions today. This concludes this episode of INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. We welcome your comments. You can reach us at infusionroom at ins1.org. That's infusionroom at ins1.org. Thank you for listening.